Hello everybody and welcome back to another edition of Kavam and of course if you didn't know by now we're on episode 27 so you probably do but in case you don't we are a Doctor Who podcast with a special focus on all things DVDs, Blu-rays, documentaries, basically anything kind of about physical media of the show, documentaries about the show, all that kind of stuff. We talk about it all here on the podcast. Um, we've discussed many a, a collection box set in the past and of course today we are able to finally I think kind of three months later than planned, given the release was massively delayed. Uh, we're going to talk all about season 22, including that Michael Grade interview and the stuff with Colin and Nicola, the um, how they dealt with a fix with Santarans, uh, and a few other things as well. So I think it's going to be a lot of good fun. I was always am joined by my three trusty companions, Bill, Ryan and Charlie. Uh, Ryan, have you had fun looking back on season 22? Not, not a favourite necessarily, but... It's been a interesting variety shall we say two <laughs> stories really good two yep. stories very in the middle and average yeah two two stories less said about the better shall we say <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think that's the general consensus is you know there's there's some high points but not necessarily the strongest um season we've ever seen uh bill you were you excited to get another collection box set i think there's only the sort of second or third one you've got isn't it it is, yeah. It's the second um, limited edition I've got. Yeah, um, I think. I mean, I'm. I must admit, I'm not. Um, I kind of go back and forth in terms of my view on season twenty-two. Like mm. sometimes I think it's all right, and then other times I do not enjoy like yeah. quite quite a chunk of it anyway um, mm. at all. Um, I'm not sure where I would say I am right now in terms of yeah. it, but. Um, I think it's good that we've at least like got it on Blu-ray because mm. I think it's a good season for them to release and more Colin Baker is always a good thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. So that's, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they've released it, even if it's not one of my all-time favourites, not necessarily mm. one I perhaps would personally have chosen to be the very next one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily anybody's first choice, but I guess at the stage where we're at, we're kind of just happy with any of them, especially with the sort of increasingly large gaps we've had recently. Um, but hopefully that might might speed up in the uh, months to come. And Charlie, did you enjoy delving into season 22? Uh, I I really enjoyed delving into the special features of season yes. two. Yeah. Um, I feel it's actually a really good selection of special features this time when compared to even a couple of the previous releases, I feel it's been a really strong one. Um, as for the season, um, I don't think it's the worst season of Doctor Who. I think it's it's just kind of... I By Doctor Who standards, it's pretty bad, but, like, I, I don't think it's awful. Like, sure, we've got two Doctors and Time Lash, but... Even like I was, um, I was talking with this about um, about this with Ryan the other day. Like Attack of the Cybermen, I appreciate a lot more. Um, yeah. Revelation of the Daleks, Vengeance on Varos, and even Mark of the Rani, I, I yeah. quite like. It, you know, it's it's not the worst selection of stories. You know. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, um, I was just a little bit in advance. I was actually rewatch following our conversation. I actually rewatched Attack of the Cybermen again this <laughs> week, and I will admit it's not quite as wretched as I remember it being but yeah it, I still don't think it's like amazing but it, it was uh, it did improve a little bit the this viewing experience this time around yeah I mean I don't I don't hate Attack of the Simon I think it's it's a bit of a bonkers idea that they went for this exceptionally continuity heavy 
Cybermen story, you need to have seen stories in the, from the 60s to really know the whole plot and why it makes any sense. It's kind of mad. I mean, I know we kind of get it sometimes in New Who now, and even that, you know, people moan about. But, like, the fact they did that in 1985 was, I think, a questionable decision, uh, if nothing else. But, you know, there's, there's some stuff to enjoy in there, you know. It's, I, I like all the stuff, you know, underground and stuff's quite cool. And, yeah, there's some moments. There's moments. It's just maybe not an overall brilliant story um well of course we are mainly here to talk about special features rather than the stories themselves because i'm sure there's another million podcasts out there that have told you that attack of the sidemen is not very good before um so we are going to discuss many an interesting feature i wanted to start off by talking about the um in conversation features now these are uh basically chats between uh, various actors or people relating to Doctor Who as we found on this release uh, and Matthew Sweet who is a sort of broadcaster and interviewer and has done lots is, is a big Doctor Who fan fundamentally and has done lots of these kind of features in the past we you know we've seen them for many different figures within Doctor Who and previous box sets but for the first time on season 22 we had more than one and in fact we had three in conversation documentaries uh, discussions with Colin Baker, Nicola Bryant and most intriguingly Michael Grade and he sure had some interesting things to say, which we'll come on to uh, shortly. But I thought we'd start with Colin, as he was kind of the first one, the main one. He was obviously the doctor of this period. Um, and, well, I, th- I thought it was quite interesting, certainly when you compare it to the Nicola Bryant one. Like, they, I think it's about an hour and 25 minutes long, this discussion with Colin Baker. And probably only about 10 or 15 minutes of it are actually about Doctor Who. So much of it is about the rest of his sort of earlier career, his life, some, you know, very heavy and tragic stuff about, you know, losing losing his his child at very, you know, just after a few weeks. And and I felt like there was so I felt like I learned quite a lot from this, whereas sometimes some of these interviews, it can just be them rehashing the same old, you know, anecdotes they've told at conventions since 1986. It's really nice to actually get some new and just learn more about Colin as a person. I don't know, Ryan, what, what was it that struck you about this feature when you first watched it? Um. No, it was quite, it was definitely interesting and him sort of confessing about how he and his family sort of relocated to Rochdale after his father returned from the war and and he remembered that he, when he was a toddler, he didn't take to his father because the fact that he was away for such a long time and Mm. the fact that when they got older, when he returned, that he became like the head of like an asbestos factory and this sort of and it's so weird how little people knew about S- yeah. asbestos compared to compared to now, and mm. and the fact that he his father suffered a stroke when he was mm. in his late forties, yeah. and how he had to go through that, and how his mother coped with it. It was mm. it was quite it did got quite heavy at points, yeah. And, yeah. and well, how he mentioned about losing his his son. Um, just before he started working on Doctor Who. Now, I did know this beforehand, um, okay. but hearing it from Colin himself, it it got quite heavy, and I will admit it did get to me a little bit yeah. because yeah. being an uncle to two nieces, one mm. of which is uh, loves Doctor Who and mm. who always wants to watch with me, it did, it got, I will admit, it yeah. kind of got to me a little bit, and in a very personal way, so mm. and and I felt added a real insight into who Colin Baker is as a person. And mm. even though, as it mentioned, it was like only 10, 15 minutes of, about Doctor Who, I can tell that even the speaker, he seemed like he was really passionate about it, just mm. didn't have that many regrets about it, and 
And this just makes me all the more feel sad for him because if he was given the right production team, if he had like a, a Philip Hinchcliffe or Robert Holmes, like that sort of production team, helping him out from the get-go, yeah, he would have been remembered as one of the best doctors we've ever had on TV. But for sure. I think the problem is because John Nathan Turner was very hit and miss and in mm. terms of being a producer and Eric Sayward didn't like him at all. And the, and the fact that the BBC higher-ups at the time mm -hmm. didn't like the show. So I think he was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. And, yeah. and just hearing him talk about his life and, and just everything from his point of view, it just made me feel all the more sad for him. And it's just like, mm. he deserves to have like a hero story, you know, <laughs> yeah. to be, have be the big hero to many, to many audiences. Mm. But I just feel like he never got the chance because of yeah. um, everything going on behind the camera. Yeah, exactly. I think that really, you know, came across. And it's clear how much Colin loves Doctor Who and loves the role. And, you know, you can see that that, I think it's almost more than any other era, the sort of, there's so much lost potential from his Doctor and his era, of so much of a sort of what could have been with him as the Doctor, because he clearly wasn't the sort of person who was who wanted to leave after two or three series. You know, he as he said, and I think I believe him when he, he said it more recently, he wanted to, you know, stay on as long as possible, frankly, because he loved the role so much. And and as you say, Ryan, just, just it was incredible to see him talking about, you know, that idea of losing your son and then five weeks later starting on Doctor Who and being able to kind of cope with all of that and how, you know, talking about how he almost feels guilty sometimes when, you know, when the scene requires him to be sort of sad or emotional that he'll think about that trauma being, you know, to be able to bring him to that point, I thought was a very, um, just a, just such an insight into, into his, him as a person and, and just, just not the sort of thing that you would really, get or hear from Colin in any other setting. And I think that's what's so great about all of these features is Matthew Sweet is such a great a great interviewer in the way of of not like he's trying to kind of prod prod them for information. You know, he's not really asking not necessarily asking difficult questions, but just gradually kind of, you know, working his way towards gaining new info finding new things out about these these various personalities and and understand them more as people, which I think is you know, it almost sometimes feels like you're kind of, I don't know, hearing stuff you shouldn't be allowed to hear or something. I, I, I don't know. I just kind of got that impression sometimes. That it's like, oh, this is quite personal. Like, you know, we're kind of listening in. Um, I don't know. Charlie, what, what was your take from this, you know, I think quite serious documentary? Um, honestly, yeah, you two have both hit the nail on the head with my <laughs> thoughts on it. I feel um, I've, I don't have too many of these uh, collection boxes. Yeah. I have uh, uh, five of them now. Yeah. Um, and I, I do feel that these are... Uh, in conversations with uh, char characters, actors who've played the Doctor are always like the best ones because, mm. you know, they play the Doctor and usually they um, have a lot more to say about it. Mm -hmm. um, like, yeah, like like um, Ryan was saying, it was, it allows you to like feel like, you know, it's a very personal and private sort of converse, uh, conversation. So it's like, like you said, you're listening in and it's, mm. yeah, I... Like I'm not um, overly versed in like the you know the anecdotes and the production stories from Doctor Who since I haven't been a fan that long. But yeah. um, so I'm not sure what you know what people knew from this already and what people didn't. But mm. that was like really surprising. Like there was lots of stuff in here that I just mm. did not know at all. Um, 
from that and as well um just like knowing i mean it was pretty much his life story wasn't it he starts yeah. it talking about where he was born mm. and then it yeah, and like you said, it was just like five, ten minutes at the end about Doctor Who, whereas with uh, Nicola Bryant, yeah. it was pretty much Doctor Who the entire yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. It went back a bit, but this was more of a chronological, just sort of uh, recalling his life. And it was mm. it was honestly fascinating. And I feel yeah. it's great how we're having these um, these interviews with these um, older actors who've played the Doctor when in, you know, like 10, 20 years time, you know, we might sadly yeah. won't have some of them. So it's yeah. great to have these. Absolutely. Um, you know, rather than, you know, we know we don't have too much from, you know, William Hartnell, Patrick Trout and John yeah. Bertwee, whereas we're going to have loads with these doctors. So I think it's mm. um, it's great that they're doing all of these and uh, allowing people to know them, you know, feel like they're knowing them more personally. Mm, definitely. Yeah, and no, I, I fully agree with all that. And Bill, how, how did this documentary strike you when you gave it a watch? Um, well, again, uh, what you've all been saying, I completely agree with. Um, I think it's good really that it was as personal as it was because it allowed us to just really get to know Colin a bit more and to, it it was nice that, you know, like you say, there wasn't as much talk about Doctor Who in his one. It was more just about his life, his, the rest of his career and everything. And I think that that was kind of probably the best way to do it because ultimately we all kind of know what happened for the show during Colin Baker's era we all know about the hiatus and all this drama that was going on behind the scenes and everything Mm -hmm. um so to have to kind of just sit Colin down and just talk to him and have him explain like um what his upbringing was how he trained to be a solicitor which I didn't actually know about until Mm then yeah um and just how he became an actor in his first few roles and everything. And it was all just really interesting. And I think it, it just helped to make it more unique because like I say, we, we've heard the same old like anecdotes and stuff about Colin Baker's era on the show uh, numerous times over the years. So to have, to still kind of focus on that a little bit, but kind of more focus on just, who Colin Baker is essentially, I think was absolutely the best way to go about it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I think I, I almost enjoy these more to an extent when these sort of, these sort of um, features, when they're less dot two focused, because we've got that in all the making of documentaries and, you know, convention footage and whatever else that actually to find this more personal insight into them sort of, you know, their life, I think is really, really interesting. Um, Now, I was thinking about this because we've we've had so far we've had an in conversation with Tom and Peter. We have one with Sylvester. Did we have that on season twenty four? I can't. Actually, yeah, we didn't. We so we've had all we've had all of the the classic doctors. Well, I guess Paul McGann that, that that we could have in conversations for. Do you think that I know it's probably been a while since we've seen some of these ones, but um, I said, Ryan, you'll have seen them all before. Do you think this is the best one of the the Doctor in conversation features we've had? I know it's hard to remember them, but. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that would almost be the most interesting one, probably. Just, just, and and in the way that Matthew Sweet does, we'd probably learn more about you know how he kind of coped with having you know becoming the new Doctor and then suddenly not being on television again after one episode. That must have been you know, quite something to deal with when you've been given that bigger role. I, I don't know, I, I, you know, that's something for the future, but I'm sure it'll be interesting to hear uh, more about that when it comes to it. Um, well, let's move on to the Nicola Bryant um, in conversation, which I thought was probably just as interesting. Again, all all of these documentaries were all quite, you know, serious and touching on some fairly serious topics, I thought. And and in particular, this, this feature with Nicola Bryant does... Well, there's, 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 you know, some, some quite funny, funny stuff, I guess, really about her um, pretending she's American for a year and not telling anybody while she's on Doctor Who, which I thought, I didn't quite realise it was to that extent that she, you know, didn't tell anybody and just had to pretend to be American all the time for like most of season 22 filming, I think it was, until she told Colin eventually. That, that, that was fascinating. Um, but then obviously all the stuff with JNT that just, was quite sad to hear really that she was treated in that way on the show and you know obviously as fans there's lots of things we do admire about jnt and what he did for the show and things but also and i you know i don't think it's necessarily a shock but also a lot of stuff that jnt did that wasn't right and and also just i guess demonstrating how much the industry has changed as well really in only what 35 36 years that you know the the sort of stuff that happened back then is just unthinkable now really um that it could have all played out that way i don't know charlie well how how did you you take all all the information on board from this particular feature um i honestly i was actually expecting something like this um Mm -hmm. like before um I well basically um I recorded um a series uh I recorded an episode for my podcast series um yeah. Best and Worst of Who with Ryan the other day oh, yeah. and that's where we discussed Attack of the Cybermen mm. and he um he told me about um about the Nicola Bryant documentary and I hadn't seen it yet and I wasn't actually <laughs> expecting uh, too much from it like yeah I I'd already seen Colin Baker and Michael Gray's and I thought mm. those two are really interesting I don't think this is gonna uh, equal or top them but yeah. it kind of equaled them I think it was mm. it was really interesting and I, I I did expect something like this from what other people were saying mm. um I sort of got the gist that it would be something about JNT because uh yeah I'd, I'd heard things you know in the past about what JNT was like um it was again another like quite um you know like sad um you know a more a more serious one rather than mm. a light-hearted one like I feel um like in other ones we've had like Sylvester I think his was a lot more light-hearted and even yeah. you know parts of Collins and even parts of Nicholas were to some extent but um yeah lots of this as well was very um was yeah again like you know quite serious and uh like solemn um mm. obviously all the stuff about her um pretending to be American and all mm. of that stuff was um <laughs> was quite uh amusing I thought um like like you said I didn't realize the um the extent of it, I thought she just, you know, went there and then put an American accent on for the role. Yeah. I didn't realize that she didn't tell anyone, even like mm. JNT. And then, yeah, but the stuff about JNT and um, and all of that stuff, it it didn't exactly surprise me, but I no. still ended up being shocked when she mentioned it. You know, mm. yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? We kind of 
know enough of JNT now that we're kind of not surprised about it. And that's, you know, that's a shame because some of the stuff that he did was really bad and really shocking and, you know, completely unacceptable. But yeah, it just doesn't surprise us anymore, I think, which is, yeah, a bit of a real shame. Um, Bill, how, how did this documentary strike you? What did you take from it? Well, as much as I think when the special features were announced, I think people kind of thought the Michael Grade one was probably going to be yeah. like the most, like at least spill the beans kind of one. Mm. I actually think Nicola Bryant's was probably the most yeah. out of the three of them because um, because of what you've all just said about the stuff you said about JNT about having to keep that American accent going to mm. everyone she worked with, to the press, to JNT, or and how she more or less just kept that going throughout, I think, m- at least most of her time on the show, maybe even all of it. Um, it It's really, like, surprising to just, again, the extent of it, um, mm-hmm. which I never would have thought. And I honestly would have thought that Jane T and Colin would have known that, you know, she obviously wasn't American, like, as soon as she was on board. But the fact that Jane T at least never found out about it I mean that's yeah. quite surprising not until I think later on I think she said that uh they they met each other later on at some somebody else's wedding and she came out with her natural accent then or something yeah. um but yeah and then just the whole stuff with JNT about like how she, how she was treated by him um it yeah in some ways it shouldn't be that surprising because there have been a lot of quite interesting stuff um said about jnt over the years um so on one level it wasn't too surprising but again just the extent of it and just the fact that you know when she refused to do a pantomime how he then got incredibly mad with her and Mm. i think then because of that that was how she then ended up not being involved with Fix of Sontarans. Just the fact that it was to that extent, I mean, that I, I don't understand personally why JNT would be like that. And mm. I think that, I mean, I get it that he might be a bit offended, not her not wanting to take part in the pantomime, but to that extent, again, it's just, it's unbelievable, really. Yeah. Um, See, so yeah, I think I think it really was like the most spill the beans kind of out of the three. Yeah, um, definitely. And therefore, perhaps, I mean, not say the other two weren't interesting as well. Like they definitely were, but with Nicholas, I think it was it really wasn't what I was expecting from it going in. Mm. Um and yeah, it was it, it was I'm glad that she at least now feels able to talk about that kind of stuff and to just let people know about it. And I think she even said stuff on a Twitter account about it yeah. like, afterwards. Yeah. Um, and also just talking about the general kind of working atmosphere at the BBC that she had to put mm. up with at that time and how, you know, how what the kind of culture of the BBC was like back then. Yeah. Uh, it was really quite shocking. Yeah, it really was some of the stuff she was saying about the you know the way she was treated there and and things were really quite yeah just unbelievable really that 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 was just acceptable and just normal almost really um, I don't know Ryan what else is there to say really apart from it was pretty shocking but what what were your take from it This just sort of reaffirmed my opinion that 
John Nathan Taylor should have left after the five doctors. If he, he should have just, he, I think he said in one like interview that he felt like he should have left after the five doctors. And considering everything that happened afterwards, he should have done because hmm. what he did to Nicola and and some of the other stuff a bit later on. It's because I there was even some reports. I think one Radio Times reviewer said that. He used to work for Dot Two magazine, and he sort of was invited to the set. And John Nathan said apparently did not treat him and the other, but they sort of, you got really annoyed with him, and he and he was just like, just keep you. It says be careful on my show, and it was mm. a, yes, yeah, it's not good. And hearing mm. what Nicola has to say, I think I always felt like the character Perry. Obviously, it was the one, the weakest companion of the 80s. And this interview ex- kind of explained why, basically, because I feel like Nicola Bryant just got a real raw deal from the get-go. Mm. Just the fact that she got the part pretty much after she finished drama school, mm. basically, and being forced to do an American accent, which she even said like it, it did a bit of damage to her vocal lungs because of the fact that she had to keep doing it constantly and mm-hmm. and the fact that she had to keep it up and the fact that she couldn't I think she even said like some casting directors didn't want to work with her because they felt like she she was lying to everyone which that really mm-hmm. wasn't the case I mean when she did her first interview about getting the part she thought I'm just gonna do it in my normal accent and they was like oh yeah you are going to but they d- didn't say anything and, and then it was just like, nope, you're gonna to have to do it in, in this American accent, which Yeah. And it it's unbelievable. It's mm. it, it's really unbelievable. And I just felt really I felt really bad for her. I'm glad mm. Nicola has got a new lease of life and allowed to do more with Perry and treat yeah. her better in the big Finnish audio dramas and mm. and all, but I think she just got a raw deal. It, um, I think, I think the the entire her and Colin. I think just again. I think given the right production team, she would have got done much better. But again, just she was just saddled with the wrong team. And again, mm. just like Colin, I just felt really bad for her. And it's just hearing from both Colin and Nicola. It just reinforced me that this whole. Colin Baker was just poorly mishandled from the get-go. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, it all just reaffirms why there were so many problems behind the scenes, really, because, you know, of the way the... everything that was going on and the way the leads were being treated at the time. And, you know, and obviously the BBC weren't exactly helping that anyway, as we'll come on to with Michael Grade. But, yeah, I think it all just, just played into that. So, yeah, I think it's that thing of, like, these were really fascinating conversations that we maybe didn't necessarily expect but actually as much as they're quite sort of heavy and serious they really do add a lot more than just a light-hearted bit of fun one which can be nice but actually if we want to sort of I don't know gain something and learn something out of these these um, interviews I think you know they've really done a great thing with these two these two um, documentaries they've really you know given that to us um, and so well we should of course come on to Michael Grade um, which well <laughs> I th- I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it was the first feature I watched because I was like you know this is the one that everybody's been talking about I've got to find out what's going on here, um, and 
my conclusion from it was kind of like Michael Grade doesn't really know what he's talking about and doesn't really actually have a clue about what happened with Doctor Who. He just likes to claim that he cancelled Doctor Who when in reality he probably didn't really cancel it because he thought he did after season 22, but actually it had another four seasons and he had no clue about this and was like, no, I still cancelled it, even though it went on for four seasons after I'd left the BBC, I still cancelled it. Um, yeah, Ryan, go on. I, what do you want to say? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try my really best segment without yeah. going off into a massive rant. If I do, <laughs> I'll probably the um, um, Some of these comments just kind of really rubbed me the wrong way a bit when like when and some of it did not surprise me really when Matthew Sweet said did you offer them like any advice on like if there was any way of in some ways it could improve and any like suggestions and he just simply said these advice don't bother it's all over and it's just like he didn't even care about the Mm -hmm. show like Mm -hmm. it he could have improved, like, if he just hired, like, a different producer or writers and to inject new life and actually put up a little bit more cash to kind of make it look better, then it could have been a success, but he just didn't want to... Yeah. He just didn't want to improve it. He, and he even said that when Russell T. Davis brought it back, he said, even though he said it's they've done a much better job with it, he still, he still kind of said, it's still not my cup of tea, really. Exactly. When he, I remember there was one interview, I think it was around the 50th anniversary, just before Day of the Doctor came out, and he said, like, I, he says, I respect it now, which is, he said, which is, never thought I would say, which is what he said, but he also said, yeah. the show still leaves me a bit cold, which is what he said, which is just yeah, so frustrating. And, and he was just like, I, I, he was trying to say, well, Everywhere I go, I wasn't the man who commissioned the singing, singing detective or casualty and all that. I was the man who killed Doctor Who, and which is sort of true. I think it, it was him and Jonathan Powell. I think Powell easily yeah. shares some of the blame in that. I think he was the one, him and Peter Cushing were the ones that, mm. both of them together were the ones that properly killed Doctor Who. Michael Green, I think, sort of, planted the seeds yeah. but I think it was Powell and Cougine that sort of delivered the final blow really exactly, and exactly. it was I don't know and him saying like because the whole saying oh it's going to come back better than ever and him saying it was just all a bit of BBC publicity really just to try and yeah. calm everyone down and yeah. it just seemed like he just he seemed like he really enjoyed being yeah. the Doctor's number one enemy. He kind of it seems like he reveling in that. Yeah. I I don't know if I kind of respect him for well <laughs> having the balls to go that far, but oh yeah. oh my god, it's just sometimes I just I, I have a real issue with people with that sort of attitude and like this yeah this kind of rubs me the wrong way and i think he's one of those people and him and jonathan powell when he did some of his interviews for that trial mm-hmm. of a time lord set mm. some of the comments he made were very um 
not pleasant, shall we yeah. put it lightly? And exactly. yeah, I mean, it's it's nice that we kind of heard that Grade was willing to take some time to give this interview with Matthew Sweet, yeah. and, and and Matthew Sweet um, uh, kept a straight face and mm. sort of kept in good fun, which kudos for him. I, I <laughs> the, he gets ten. 10 out of 10 for me on that one, yeah. but um, which is something I can't say for Grade himself, frankly. <laughs> um, no, no, yeah. indeed, yeah. yeah. Uh, what else is there to be said, really? It, yeah. I just still, he did, it was nice for him to give like a full interview, but I still find him to be a massive arsehole. Sorry, but yeah. there you go. <laughs> it's pretty true. It's pretty true. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So yes, um, the the Michael Grade documentary. So uh, Charlie, do you think that we should actually listen to anything that Michael Grade said, or is he literally just talking like he doesn't know anything in reality? Oh, uh, definitely the latter. Um, <laughs> I, I went into this with a fairly open mind, thinking like maybe I might be able to see a little bit of his point of view. Like mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest fan of season twenty two either, but you know, as the documentary went on, I just thought, yeah. No, I, I've been proven wrong. It is just going to be exactly the, the same Michael Grade we know from Room 101. Um, yeah. In the sense that it's, I mean, again, he was justified in showing Warriors of the Deep, but uh, it's just everything, you know, he was saying about like, uh, um, you know, he was saying like, uh, I tried not to uh, let my own personal taste um, affect my decisions yet. That's, That's exactly- clearly nonsense. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like several times he admits, oh, I, I let my personal uh, dislike of sci-fi influence this. Like, yeah, it, like, like as you guys were saying, it's just he wasn't, he couldn't be bothered. That's what it was because you just with a little bit of a bigger budget, you know, and well, that's all it really needed yeah. um, to get back on its feet. And I don't know, maybe someone else other than JNT, um, but um, yeah, and the way he was like admitting that he. Uh, it's, it's almost like he sheepishly admitted that he cancelled Doctor Who and like, oh, sorry guys, it was me. But no, it wasn't. There were four whole exactly. seasons. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It it was it was a bit strange because it's like he was confessing it, yet he didn't even cancel Doctor Who. It went yeah. on. It I, more, yeah. I think yeah. he. It's almost like he likes the the persona of being the man who cancelled Doctor Who. Like I think he sort of actually quite likes being that because he gets to be the villain and gets some you know publicity for it and all that kind of thing. And just like his perspective on Doctor Who, like he watched five minutes of it and he's like, no, it's terrible. To give it no, he's got no no hope, no chance, nothing. And you know, like yeah, he was going on about how oh everybody's seen Star Wars in the cinemas, and you know clearly Doctor Who's never going to be able to compete to that, so they shouldn't bother. And it's like, but that isn't the point in the slightest. Obviously, Doctor Who is not trying to compete with Star Wars when Star Wars is a Hollywood blockbuster fr- film franchise, and Doctor Who is on BBC One in 19- the nineteen eighties. It's just ridiculous that 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 would be like his argument because the audience would not be expecting Star Wars on your on your television because they understand what's going on here. So I, when he said that, I was just like, that's just the, the sort of laziest, just stupid excuse that you could possibly come up with as to, you know, why it should be cancelled. It's just absolute nonsense. Um, Bill, do you share all our uh, feelings of Michael Grade's, like, stupidity at all? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I also think he avoided a lot of questions, I think, because I'm pretty sure um, Matthew Sweet kept on like asking him, but why exactly did you cancel it? What were your reasons? And stuff like that. And he didn't really give like a definitive answer one way or another. He kind of just said, um, oh, well, I've never really liked science fiction anyway, which, yeah, okay, fine, fair enough. Like Everyone's allowed to have their own tastes, but it's like even he himself said, you shouldn't cancel something based purely on your own personal tastes. Yeah, he literally said that. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't understand <laughs> yeah. why is he doing it. Yeah, exactly. It's madness. It's just it, everything. Like, I really gave, you know, I was really interested. I was like, what's he going to say? Surely he's going to have a good reason behind it. But it was just constant nonsense for 45 minutes, really, wasn't it? Of him just... Yeah, just making up excuses, not actually... And you could tell Matthew Sweet kept trying to kind of explain it all to him, you know, going, well, actually, so you see, you cancelled Doctor Who in 1985, which was season 22, and then there was season 23, and then there was 20... And, like, he really tried to lay it out clearly to Michael, and he was just like, nah, I cancelled it. I, I just did it. And he even said in the interview that he wasn't involved with sacking Colin Baker. He said, he says, yeah. I did do it. But Colin Baker himself said in another interview that he received the orders to him getting sat came from a grade himself. Yeah. So it's just like, why are you trying to contradict yeah. yourself or trying to? It's just oh, okay. <laughs> Take a breath, everyone. Take a breath. <laughs> I think um, like this was unintentionally the funniest like in conversation compared yeah, to the other two. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ironically, right. just laughing at how just annoying Michael Grade was being. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like I would have I would have appreciated him more if he'd just like owned what he actually did and was more, you know, reason even if he had the nonsense reasons about, you know, cancelling it because he can compete with Star Wars or whatever, like fair enough. But if he at least could have been understanding of the fact that yeah, he put it on hiatus for 18 months, but he didn't old he maybe started that sort of, you know, downhill for Doctor Who, but he wasn't the one who really cancelled it in the end. And if he'd just been willing to admit that, that might have made the difference. I don't know. But, yeah. It was it, it, it was an interesting one, wasn't it? Um, and, well, I, yeah, I think it's got people talking. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, it's it's the sort of one I would I would revisit every once in a while, just have another little chuckle at, um, and a bit of a rage at maybe as well. It's good comedy material. I'll exactly. Give it that. Exactly. Exactly. Material. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. And well, uh, let's move on from these in-conversation features now. We've talked about them for a while. Let's move on to... There's a few other new uh, sort of specific new things out there. I mean, there, there is other new stuff we're not going to cover, you know, various new archive features. There's a new commentary on uh, Revelation of the Daleks um, and CGI effects on Time Lash. Has anybody seen the CGI on Time Lash? Yeah, I've, I've seen it. Is it um, an improvement on a terrible story? Um, it's a... <laughs> slide it's a tiny improvement i mean the bit where he goes down into that the tinsel ash as i'm calling yes. it it's they put like a blue like time vortex filter over every single crack and crevice where there's there is the tinsel and all this mm-hmm. to try and i could tell they were trying to cover up the well the the infamous parts of it um which <laughs> Fair enough. If you want yeah. to, yeah. The hardest to get rid of the tinsel. Fair enough, but yeah. uh, um, it didn't really improve my opinion at all. <laughs> no, I, I think CGI effects don't 
tend to improve the story really do they it's kind of just yeah. I, I don't know I kind of feel like they were just doing it because they can and there was a bit of money to do it and we were like you might as well say we've got a CGI effects update on this I don't know Charlie did you say you've seen it as well uh yeah it does not look great it is <laughs> being bad for 1985 it's now bad for 2022 yeah, yeah. It just it's, it's bad, but more modern. This is always the tricky thing with CGI effects, isn't it? That because of the budget they're working with, they can never really make what effects that look cutting edge for 2022. Mm. So it's kind of like making you almost want to make it look kind of period, just a bit better, rather than try and make something that looks updated, but it actually just looks quite cheap. Yeah. But then again, um, I, I watched this um, with my niece, and, and she kind of was like, was okay with it so fair enough what do I know? <laughs> well there we go exactly clearly we we know nothing we know nothing exactly exactly <laughs> right um next we're going to move on to the location 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 feature clearly trying to um rip off that channel four it's channel four program i don't even know um where we saw colin and nicola going around various filming locations from um season 22 i think from attack of the cybermen mark of the rani and revelation of the daleks various mm-hmm. uh, locations from that where and in Attack of the Cybermen, they just wandered around a bit of London and some fairly unspectacular visuals, I think it's fair to say. Um, but at least with uh, Mark of the Rani, they met the director, so it was Sarah Hellings, I think, wasn't it, the director? Um, and they met Graham Harper, of course, director of Revelation of the Daleks as well for, for the stuff there. And I thought it was just a good bit of fun, really, more than anything else. Like, it's, it's always great to see them revisit it and reminisce and have a bit of fun. I don't know, Bill, what did, did you enjoy this feature? Yeah, I did. I mean, like you say, it's good to see them just kind of reminisce about when they were filming and like, um, I think they were showing like some behind the scenes pictures of when they were filming Attack of the Cybermen and, you know, mm. all these fans coming up to Colin. And everything. Oh, yeah. Um, that was really nice. Um, and it was nice to them kind of meet the directors, as you say. And um, I think they even were able to talk to Matthew Robinson. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. Zoom of course, call, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. I forgot about that. Um, and that that was good. Again, just good to hear, like, not just Colin and Nicola's, like, perspectives mm-hmm. on working on them stories, but also the director as well. Um, and just to, just to get a gist of the general kind of on-the-set um, atmosphere, uh, especially on Mark of the Rani, where I think wasn't there, like, a load of, raining where they were yeah. when they were filming yeah. it yeah yeah um and Didn't people look getting, fun yeah <laughs> yeah people getting very soggy um mm. yeah it did not look fun at all um <laughs> yeah yeah it, it was it was nice it was it was a nice kind of thing to just another feature to just have and um i really enjoyed it it was yeah a lot of fun um and it was also just good to see what the locations look like yeah. nowadays yeah. Um, and see how much they've changed or I think in quite a lot of the cases in this instance, how little they've actually mm. changed. I think yeah. like the, the ones for the Matt Street and Attack of the Sidemen is more or less identical yeah. really to how it was in the 80s. Um, and then I think that, was it some kind of factory that they filmed for Revelation? Yeah. I think more or less still looks exactly the same as well. Mm. Um, and I liked the bit where they got that TARDIS prop out. I was, I was, yeah. I was trying to figure out where exactly they got it from. I think it may have been the, um, the one they use for David Bradley in Twice Upon a Time or. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I, no, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. 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 There must be a few out there. I imagine now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, or maybe it was just a fan made one or something, but yeah. Um, 
no that it was it was a lot of fun and i enjoyed it a lot mm. um it's just it was just nice to hear everyone's perspectives on what it was like working on them stories and just to hear how you know as much as again we know about all the drama that was going on behind the scenes how ultimately they were still all able to have a really good and nice time with each other working on the yeah. show yeah. um which again because of how the amount of negative stuff that we know about that era mm-hmm. i think it gets overlooked how when you know when it when that era did work it, it it could work very very well at least behind the scenes with the um with the people involved and how well they got on with each other mm-hmm. um it was yeah it's it was really good um if anyone hasn't already checked it out i would definitely recommend it yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, Ryan, it, it was nice to see the them reunited with the Daleks, wasn't it? From that scene in Revelation of the Daleks, so it looks kind of weird because obviously we're so used to seeing it all in the snow from the episode. It's kind of almost the snowy scene is synonymous with that story, I think. And obviously, it was pure coincidence it happened to snow then when they were filming there. Um, so to see it without all the snow, it kind of looks quite different, even though it is obviously the same location. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, it was definitely. It was definitely great to see them, Graham Harper showing up yeah. again. And, yeah. I mean, I've always said in the past that Revelation of the Daleks is my favourite of the Sixth Doctor era. Yeah. And that is really possibly, good. Possibly my top five favourite stories from the 80s overall. Mm. It, I still think it's a um, great story. It was definitely, so it was great having them talking about the location filming for when they were doing the outer, um, outer scenes, uh, outer location scenes of... Um, Tranquil repose and how they yeah. use the old I- IBM building for those mm. surroundings and yeah. also seeing Colin Baker wear that classic blue cloak yeah. was a nice touch, um, which wouldn't surprise me if it part of the reason was for that was so we can try and so that his outfit didn't underneath did not look too distracting. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah. It was great seeing him in that blue cloak again. I definitely think this was a a really good documentary just mm. um reminiscing on all the different locations and talking about the the three different stories they filmed out on location having all three directors involved in various capacity it was it was definitely well done um it definitely really reminded me a lot of the um the director's route um documentary yeah, the, from- yeah season eight yeah, that one. Uh, yeah. It definitely felt very reminiscent of that. And I'm hoping we get some more stuff like that in the future, mm. whenever they talk about um, the key to time season. Yeah, um, some good locations it, for that, isn't there, with Androids of yeah. Tar and things like that. Yeah, and um, also season 25 as well. I think they, there mm. was a bit of location for um, a great show in the galaxy, yeah. and Remembrance of the Daleks. Yeah, so, of course. Uh, do some stuff for that so mm. yeah it was definitely um, one of the major highlights of this box set absolutely yeah no i think it was a thoroughly enjoyable um feature i don't know charlie did, did you get the same amount of enjoyment out of it as us yeah absolutely um i feel like as much as i did really enjoy the um you know colin and nicholas in conversation mm. um it's nice to have you know them interact and in, in a more um upbeat way you yeah. know it was a yeah. more light-hearted fun documentary mm. um it um it was a bit underwhelming the attack of the cybermen stuff it felt like <laughs> just trying to get yeah. a third story in somewhere uh but the the stuff for mark the rani was brilliant um and mm-hmm. revelation of the daleks i feel it was brilliant uh, seeing the 
the IBM building without all the huge pyramids behind it. Yeah, and, of course. And uh, walking around that pond with the the cliffhanger with the the statue, you know. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, I feel that's that sort of area was the place that looked very similar, even without all the snow. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it was nice seeing the directors as well. I feel um, this. I think I prefer this to the, um, the direct route because mm-hmm. it has uh, both the directors and the actors. Yeah, so I think got... it works quite well, doesn't it? Yeah, having that sort of dynamic of them, you know. And I, did, did we get the impression that they hadn't met Sarah Helling since they filmed Mark with the Rani? Was that the impression they were meant to be giving us? Or mm. Yeah, it, it did seem that way um, watching it. Which is always Which... just interesting, I think. It's like, you know, it's been nearly 40 years, 35 years. It's just crazy. Mm. Absolutely, and and I'm hoping again. I'm just hoping they do more stuff like this in the future, in the future especially if it means reuniting with people they haven't seen in a very long time. Yeah, definitely, definitely, exactly. So yeah, that was a very fun little feature, as I say, a bit more lighthearted and a lot of fun. Seeing all the locations is always great, so that's definitely something worth checking out. And um, we'll give a quick mention to uh, they did a new making of documentary for the two doctors because it didn't really actually have one. It the only thing it previously had on the DVD was this slightly odd feature with um oh who who was it was it Gary Gary Gillett who was just wandering around some random places discussing being a production manager or Doctor Who or something like it. It it was a very odd feature from the the old DVD days of you know I think it was about two thousand and four or something. Um, and yeah, it was just very odd and didn't really tell you anything about the making of it. So they thought, let's do a new one. Let's do a proper one. Um, I, I, the only thing I thought was a shame about this documentary was the fact they didn't go to Spain because it was quite, I mean, I'm sure it's because of COVID and the fact they had to make it during that, that it just wasn't possible to get, you know, a few actors and stuff out to to um, to Seville to do it. But, you know, I feel like that just could have added that little bit extra to the documentary because it was really good and really insightful, but also was kind of, yeah your classic talking heads documentary maybe more you know that we got became accustomed to into the dvd range rather than trying to do anything too uh dynamic or different with it i don't know charlie what did you think of it um i i did enjoy it but you know having seen you know every time i watch a classic doctor who story on dvd i always watch it's um it's making off and it did feel a lot like those but just It looks more 2022, you know, <laughs> looks better than some yeah. of the early 2000s ones. But um, mm-hmm. it wasn't like offensively bad. Uh, it was just, you know, kind of there when compared to some of the better yeah. features like the location, location, location and the uh, behind the sofa, the in conversations. It was, you know, it was just sort of, uh, you know, also there. Um, but it was it was OK. They, I felt the um, the anecdotes that they were talking about were kind of, you know everyone had already heard of them like yeah. yeah it was really hot um and you know they were talking about you know where they were filming in uh spain and it, it felt like they were they were spending half the time talking about how good patrick troughton was yeah uh, yeah which, yeah which is you know good and I, I get you know why he probably was um and you know i i was a big fan of patrick troughton too but um you know it felt like they were just reiterating the same sort yeah. of few points a lot no it's true and i, and I guess the, the the sort of biggest behind the scenes story of of to the two doctors was this whole they got the 
they got a load of um, makeup or wigs sent off to the wrong place, had to delay filming by three days in Spain. But everybody's heard that before a million times. We all know it. And so it's kind of like, there's not necessarily that much new they could add in. Um, and right, I don't know. There, there was this slightly odd thing they threw in there with this 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 Centauran they'd got dressed up, walking around in front of like a CGI background of Spain, um, just blasting and stuff. I don't know. It, it seemed a little bit odd. I don't know. Yeah, I can tell that there was, it was supposed to have been there. If they yes, they it. clearly intended to do it there and then realised they couldn't. I don't know. It just looked as if it was superimposited in there. It yeah. just looked a bit obvious. So yeah. It is a shame that they couldn't actually go to Spain to actually yeah. do it properly. But, mm. I mean, I suppose with things being as tough as they are at the moment, it's kind of a little bit understandable. It's although it still looks a little bit odd when you watch it. Um, and as for the documentary, it just yeah, it just kind of felt like there didn't add that much. And it all it is basically talking about a story that well, it's with time lash, it is basically part of the double bill from hell, basically. <laughs> so, um, this didn't really enlighten much yeah. on the fact that they got a good holiday out of it, and I'm yeah. just like. Well, I'm glad someone got a good people got a good time out of it. Yeah. Um, just a shame the final product wasn't very good, but um, mm. I guess those are the breaks. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think yeah, that was the impression you kind of got. I don't know, Bill. Did you learn anything new from this documentary? Did you get take anything from it much? Uh, well, like the rest of you, I, I found it pretty underwhelming, really, as a uh, making of documentary. I mean, um. Not to say it was like terrible, but yeah, I've seen more interesting documentaries. Really, I mean, like you say, there's probably just not much they really could have done. Yeah, ultimately, I think so. um, that hasn't already been said about the making of it. Um, but what I did find interesting was that I think the story was originally going to be set and filmed in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. we, and now that was interesting. That was something that I didn't know previously mm-hmm. about it. Um, and I must confess, um, the stuff about all the wigs and stuff being sent to, I'm sure Colin like has has um has kind of in one in one bit he says it's he went to Scandinavia and then I think in the, in one of the behind the sofas he says it went to Germany. So I'm not okay. too sure where exactly <laughs> yeah. it went. Yeah, the memory uh, cheats and all that. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I didn't personally know about that so that was mm. that that was a fun little tale but again there just there just wasn't much I think knew that they really could have said about the two doctors really other than they all had a really good time in Spain which you know yeah. it's good yeah exactly and I guess it's we yeah I think we can be critical but also we obviously appreciate that it's there and we wouldn't want it to not be there um you know it's still nice to kind of tick the boxes of, of making of documentaries because you know there there is very few doctor classic doctor stories that don't have like a 30 minute behind the behind the scenes documentary about the making of it and so it's nice to add another one to the list with the two doctors even if it's not necessarily bringing that much new information or in that much of a an innovative way shall we say but yeah i think it's still ultimately happy it's there it's just maybe not one of the kind of highlights of this box set i guess um well now the 
the the interesting thing that we have to talk about is a fix with the Centaurans, um, which of course is rather infamous. And I think we were all quite surprised when they announced it was going to be on this box set because they'd originally put it on the two Doctors, and then everything that came out with Jimmy Savile happened. And so the two Doctors DVD, like whenever it was kind of reprinted a bit later on after all that, they removed it from, and we thought, well, it's just going to be erased from existence because it's got Jimmy Savile in it, which is fair enough. Um, but they decided, no, we're going to put it on here. We're going to add a commentary and we're going to re-edit it and so that it can be acceptable and be watched. And well, Ryan, what did you think of the um, change? So spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, uh, the change is essentially that they removed the whole Jimmy Savile scene at the end and replaced the bit on the screen with a load of Centauran ships and then just kind of cut to cliffhanger and that was it, really. Um, I don't know, do you think it worked all right, Ryan? I think they got around it the best they can do. I mean, yeah. if they were going to include it, this is basically the only way that they could do it. Exactly. Basically. And the effect that they used looked appropriately 80s. <laughs> it did, yes. And which does help make it feel make it feel a bit more seamless. So mm. I definitely appreciate it for that. And and to an extent, the fact that they've gone to this extreme to try and remove Jimmy Savile at the end. It's definitely commendable. I'm happy that they've yeah. done that because they were like, this is still a piece of Doctor Who that needs to be there, even if it's not very good, it's very incidental. Well, um, is it canon? Still... That is the question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a debate. Yeah, kind of like dimensions in time to a certain extent. Indeed, well. yes. It's best not to think about it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of like um, just one of those dot two oddities basically yeah, yeah. this out there um but i'm ha- so they were like this is still even if it's an oddity this is still something we need to keep in yeah. there so i'm happy that they decide to alter it and this is definitely the better way of getting around it um mm. still doesn't change my opinion on it although i still found it very there and whatever but yeah it was nice that they did that and um uh it was definitely a much welcome change absolutely mm, absolutely yeah and bill did you just similar, similar thoughts it was positive to have it there in this slightly changed form yeah i mean it, i'm glad they included it but um i don't know i suppose i was kind of perhaps expecting a bit too much but i was kind of hoping that they would kind of maybe like obviously to get rid of it is completely fine but maybe to kind of address it somewhat in the commentary um, because I Mm -hmm. listened to the commentary as well. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I I suppose ultimately that is the kind of thing which would deserve its own kind of documentary or special feature about um, separately. So I I think the approach they made was probably the best one they could have made ultimately. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the the story itself is it's fine. Like, Like Ryan said, it's very incidental. It doesn't really add much to um the show overall but it's there and yeah if if people want to watch this edited version then they can do that now with this blu-ray and everything but yeah it's it's good that they at least included it um i think yeah like like i say part of me kind of wanted them to do to kind of do something a bit more with the whole jimmy savile controversy yeah. And I think, but 
as it stands, I think it's it's fine enough as it is, and I think yeah. they did the best possible job that they could do with it. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do wonder whether it would have just been a bit tricky to actually tackle the topic of Jimmy Savile and and being able to. Yeah, I don't know how much they would have been able to talk about it, and you know, doing it in the right way. I think it probably was maybe too much of a risk, possibly to really delve into it too deeply. Yeah, I think just because of the subject matter and things, it might have. I I, I do agree with you. I think it would have, and I think it would have been nice if at the very least, like they put a little message on the screen before, like when you're watching a Fixers and Tarans at the start saying this has happened, this was removed for this reason, just to give somebody who doesn't know anything about it a bit of context, because I think it's quite important to be able to watch this and understand the context of it, because it's pretty significant. Um, so I thought that was a bit of a shame. Oh, so um, I remember when they did that Sontaran documentary for the... Yeah. Um, Sontaran experiment and remember that they did edit they completely edited out any mention of yeah. Jimmy Savile in there and especially Colin's remark at the end when he said Jimmy Savile is much more frightening than the Sontaran yes. much yeah. more and I'll just leave it at that and so which yeah. is because of course wasn't, wasn't that that was done that was done way before it all came out wasn't it yeah about, as well which is four or five years before that yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah, and well, Charlie, anything else to add on this rather um, unusual feature? Um, yeah, like like you were saying, Elliot, um, it could have it could have done with a little message at the start for context because, like, you know, for someone who you know had never watched it before, it it must have been really confusing. Like, what on earth is this? Yeah. Um, I quite like how um, they got. I'm pretty sure Colin voiced a couple of lines over um, over the you know the shots of all uh, the yeah. The, you know of all the Sontaran ships but that's you know that was sort of the only way they could really resolve it without just cutting randomly an ending mm-hmm. um that said it, it's a you know it's kind of one of those oddities that we've got to have there because it's a piece of Doctor Who and where else will it go it's kind of like canine and company no one really mm-hmm. likes it and it's you know whether it's canon or not is very debatable but you've got to have it somewhere you know yeah yeah, exactly. I agree. I think it's important to include it. Um, yeah, and I think they probably did just about the best job they could have done with given the circumstances with it. Um, well, the final feature features that we we all know and love by now is the behind the sofa features, of course, um, on season twenty two as we've had on all of the collection releases so far. Uh, but I have to say, like, I'm not always a ma- not a massive not that I dislike them, but sometimes just kind of like, yeah, they're all right. But actually, I was I've quite enjoyed the season twenty two ones that I've watched. I have to say, they I, I felt it was really noticeable how like every sofa like had a very defined like opinion and feeling towards each episode, every story they were watching. Um, because you obviously had the classic Peter Davison, Janet Fielding, and Sarah Sutton sofa, where they're basically well, particularly Peter Davison is just like, well, this is terrible because it's not got me in it. Um, which I thought was quite entertaining, but also it's just Peter going, well, this is a bit rubbish, isn't it? Which you know. I feel like that's kind of what he generally does about Doctor Who a lot of the time. Um, maybe that's just his kind of character trait. And then I mean, it was quite, I thought it was also quite an interesting combination putting um, Wendy Padbury and um, Sylvester McCoy together. Of course, that 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 was kind of an unexpected duo. I can kind of, you know, obviously we've got Wendy on because he's got Patrick Trousen in one of the stories. So it makes sense. But it was kind of an unexpected duo. And I didn't, you're never quite sure because you don't know how much they kind of know each other as to whether there's going to be any real chemistry going on there. But um, I actually quite enjoyed them. I mean, they, they, their sort of trait was like, oh, this Doctor Who, it's really violent, isn't it? It's all, all a bit grown up and a bit too much. Um, and then you've got Colin and Nicola and Terry Malloy. And I just love how much Colin loves his Doctor Who. 
like he's just so proud of it even he doesn't care what anybody else thinks about it he just thinks every single story he did is like the greatest doctor episode there's ever been it, i just i just love his enthusiasm for it i think it's so much fun and it just makes you want to appreciate them more always because you just know how much he loves everything that he did in doctor who um which obviously comes across in many different things he did but i just felt like particularly in these behind the sofa features you could just see it every single time. He's like, oh, isn't this great stuff? Oh, I'm loving this. Look at these performances. This is great for 1985, you know? He just seemed to love it. He really, really enjoyed it. So I, I don't know. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with Behind the Sofas. I don't know. Bill, what was your... How did you feel about these Behind the Sofas? Yeah, like you, I had a lot of fun with them. Um, I, I really enjoyed Peter Davison, Sarah Sutton and Janet Fielding. <laughs> they were really on fire in these ones. Yes. So they, they were really like, I think, in some ways the highlight of it um but it mm. was like i say it was nice to have colin baker and um nicola and terry malloy also kind of commenting on each story and um i think with them it was very much kind of looking back on on what you know their own work as it were yeah, with like yeah. nostalgia mm. uh, and everything and just really just remembering the good times ultimately which mm-hmm. you know it's, it's kind of what you want to you want to the people actually involved in that era to kind of uh, be doing because again we all know about negative stuff from that era so yeah. it's just nice to have something positive just have Colin and Nicola and Terry just kind of talking about how much they just had so much fun together and just had a great time um, and then yeah Wendy Padbury and Sylvester McCoy was yeah, it, it, I think initially, like you say, it was one of those pairings which we were a bit unsure about, but I think it did actually do quite well. And as much as, like, as you say, like Wendy kept coming back to, oh, it's very, it's a bit too violent, isn't it? And all this, like, I, in some ways, I did kind of agree with her. Like, some, like, yeah, I do think yeah. season 22 was definitely very violent. Not to say that Doctor Who shouldn't be like that in some ways, but mm. at least at times, but. I feel like they really did um they really did push it to a new extreme yeah. with season 22. Yeah. Um I mean I think the scenes which were violent it kind of made sense in the context of yeah. them. Um like I know everyone kind of doesn't like the fact that the sixth doctor basically just used a gun and killed a bunch of sidemen but mm-hmm. it does make sense in the context of the scene and then his yeah. whole flippant attitudes to the acid bath in Vengeance. Again, I know yeah. some people don't like it, but it it again, it at least makes sense. You know, even if it is a bit strange, it, it does make sense at least. Um, mm-hmm. it, it does remind me very much of kind of that James Bond kind of way of looking at death yeah. of just kind of making flippant making remarks it, yeah. about it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, no, that's really true. Yeah. I think it's yeah, I, I guess it's this thing of they've never seen any of these stories before and they only see clips of them as well, which definitely makes it more difficult to like follow the stories and really understand it all. So um, I can kind of understand why they come across with those sort of opinions sometimes, I suppose. I don't know, Charlie, who was your favourite sofa of the lot for this set? Um, for me, it was definitely Peter Davison, <laughs> Janet Fielding and Sarah Sutton. They're just like the iconic trio at this point. Yes. They're sort of guaranteed for every box set. Um, and yeah. I feel... They sort of served the function, like especially Peter, to uh, like critique it. Mm. Um, whereas I feel Sylvester and Wendy were more like watching it, like yeah. they were watching it for the first time. And then we yeah. have um, Terry Cullen and Nicola who are there. Their function is like to reminisce. So we've yeah. got like three different purposes for each one. And mm. I feel um, 
that was very obvious here as well as like I've been recently rewatching season 24. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, those three were just, yeah, great. Espe- especially, um, well, no shade to the other two, but definitely Peter, I feel I really enjoyed. Yeah, no, he certainly um, was strong in his opinions and thoughts about this story, I think it's fair to say. Um, and Ryan, I think that um, Janet Fielding and Sarah Sutton will probably have watched pretty much all of Classic Who by the end time we get the end of the collection <laughs> releases. Um, did you enjoy um, the con- their contributions on this box set? Yeah, it, I think if you see one of the behind solos with them on it, I think you pretty much get the general gist of what yes. they're like together. And yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't mind. I mean, I think they are good fun, and I'm still. And of course, I'm still excited to see her come back as Tegan again. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we forget this is happening because I don't bother promoting it, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm. I still make the. I still maintain that um, Janet Fielding's Tegan was the best thing about the Peter Davison mm. era, and her and Ace are the best companions of the '80s by far. Yeah. And so, of course, I'm gonna. That's the main reason that the. Mm. Well, I think the only reason I'm interested in this final episode that's coming in October, November. Yeah, somewhere then. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I still enjoy Janet's presence and so sort of it, it is nice and and yeah it, i thought this behind the sofa selection was definitely was definitely enjoyable i mean I, I think it's pretty much guaranteed at this stage that any behind the sofa is pretty enjoyable yeah even if it's not the most substantial insightful people yeah. new entry it's still it's fun nonetheless yeah it's just a bit of fun isn't it really yeah it's always a, a welcome presence and on whenever these new box sets come out, definitely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think it's always just an extra bit of fun added to every single story that we always get to enjoy, which is really, really great. Um, Well, that just about brings us to the end of our discussion on the Season 22 box set. I think a box set where maybe the stories aren't the best, but um, in the most part, the features, the special features make up for it. I think we've obviously got loads of other features from the DVD range as well, which um, just really add to it and enhance it. Um, but yeah, guys, please do follow us on the socials um, on Twitter. We're at Kavan Pod um, and you can check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, we're going to be back again somewhere soon to discuss probably the Dalek movie releases because obviously they have one has come out. The other one's coming very soon and we haven't tackled those yet. So we'll be back again soon, I hope, to talk about all of those. But until then, from another edition of Kavan, it is goodbye. Goodbye.